You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. So, uh, it's, um, it's at this point in the service when all of the introverts are already sitting down and all of the extroverts are, have like moved like halfway across the uh, sanctuary uh, and are talking to people they've never seen before. And so let me invite all the extroverts to find their seat. And isn't it great that there is room for everyone in the house of the Lord, whether you feel like you belong or you don't, when it comes to Jesus, you belong. Why? Because he made you, and he loves you, and he wants to restore you to the fullness of, of life. And, and so maybe you're new or a visitor here, or maybe you came with, uh, with a, a friend or a family member, and you're unfamiliar with this place or this church. Just know we're thankful you're here. And we're not going to make you do anything crazy or wild, but our, our hope is that this morning you would encounter Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus wasn't simply a teacher or, or a prophet or, 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 or simply a man who walked the streets of first century Palestine. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That in history, Jesus, uh, uh, God took on, on flesh and came to this earth because he loves us. And he wanted to rescue us from, uh, from a few things. And one of those things that he wants to rescue us from is is the sin that holds us in darkness. And he wants wants to rescue us from the death that it causes, the finality of death. And so our our hope this morning is that you encounter Jesus, because because really talk is cheap. (laughs) But the power of God unto salvation is something that we all need. And so we're thankful that you're here. We've been looking at these stories of people who encountered Jesus when he walked the earth. And and we've been seeing that that as these people encounter Jesus, their lives are changed. And the same is true for all of us. When we encounter Jesus, our lives can be changed. And last week, we looked at the story of the woman at the well, an outsider by all accounts. But... Jesus stepped over these these barriers. He stepped over a racial barrier to give this woman a drink of the living water of God. And I was thinking about her story yesterday. I was thinking about her story yesterday as I took time to reflect on our, our National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And in part, I was wondering how our First Nations friends would have heard her story. The story of an overlooked woman whom the religious establishment had labeled as someone with impure blood and an impure theology. Yet in the story, Jesus broke down these racial and religious barriers and he asked this woman for a drink of water. It was a request that would have led her to drink from the well of God herself. You see, when we see where Jesus leads, 
And when we're willing to follow where Jesus leads, we come to realize he leads us straight into the truth and straight into reconciliation. Doesn't he? And so, church, I want to call you to keep humbly walking the path of reconciliation in the name of Jesus. It's close to his heart. And we can do that by continuing in three things. One, we can learn our history. We can learn the history of residential schools in Canada, and we can learn about our place within that history. And second, we can acknowledge what took place. It's a path of reconciliation. And third, we can seek justice and mercy, just as God instructs the prophet Amos, things we know. Walking this path is close to the heart of God. It's the reason Jesus came. And so let me call you to keep walking humbly. Today, we turn our attention from a so-called outsider of the faith to a so-called insider of the faith in the person of Nicodemus. And so I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3, John 3. And this morning, as I've been reflecting, I'm going to walk through the story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, and I'm really going to walk through it almost verse for verse. And so as I do, I I invite you on the journey, I invite you to engage your heart and your mind to put your place in Nicodemus' shoes, so to speak. And I want to say at the outset that that I actually don't uh, intend to say anything new. (laughs) Maybe you've heard everything that I'm going to say this morning already, but may the Spirit of Jesus say what the Spirit of Jesus needs to say to you. John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely someone cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may, not be, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, speak to us in a way that only you can through your word and through this your servant. We commit to you this morning that we want to open our ears to hear precisely what you have to say to us. But Jesus, my confession is I don't know what that is for every person in this room. But Jesus, I'm listening. As are others in this room. And so Spirit, Speak, speak, we pray, and bring us into the fullness of life. Amen. So, a few years ago, my, my parents bought me one of those DNA kits, right? You know the ones where you kind of check your, your, your ancestry? You know, you know what I'm talking about? And now, I'm not sure why, but when your parents hand you a DNA kit, you, I mean, there is some cause for suspicion, right? It's, it, it's a little weird, and, and, and I'm not exactly sure what their motivations were. I, I, I'm just assuming that they were updating the will, and they kind of just wanted to, you know, just to make sure that they had it right. And I, I'm sure that I don't, I just don't know why they gave me the DNA kit. Let's just be, be like, it was a good gift. I enjoyed it. And, and you know, I, I'm wondering, it's kind of fun. Like, have you ever done one of these things? Have you ever checked your, your heritage, looked into your family line? I mean, it's, it's fun to trace your genetic roots. And, and sometimes it's not just fun, it's kind of surprising. <laughs> um, uh, surprisingly, I have Viking blood in me. Yep, and I know you were all thinking, yeah, we can see that, Keith. We see your biceps. <laughs> That's why I wore a jacket this morning, so you couldn't see my biceps. Uh, but no, I've got Viking blood. It was surprising. And, uh, and, uh, but there was another discovery that actually delighted me way more than that. Uh, I, I found out through this, uh, this, uh, this DNA kit that, that I am 1.5% Ashkenazi Jewish. And now the, the Ashkenazi Jews were this diaspora group of Jews who, who settled in Eastern Europe during the Middle Ages. 
And I gotta say, this 1.5%, it thrilled me to find this out, uh, that, that I was 1.5% Ashkenazi Jewish, because I, I went around to my, my family in the household when I found this out, and I said, you better listen to me. <laughs> because I most likely have the blood of Jesus coursing through my veins right now. Right? I, I have the blood of Abraham in me, and, and, and now, I know that, that my 1.5% doesn't mean that much, <laughs> but being from the Jewish bloodline in Jesus' day, it was a huge deal. It meant everything. You weren't simply born into a family with, with a mom and dad and brother and sister. You were born into the family of God. It was in your blood. Your birth certificate, it qualified you as, as God's special possession one of his chosen ones who, who had the privilege of knowing God and knowing his blessings. And there was even this prayer that, that was prayed, and it's even prayed today, and it goes like this. It's God, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. It was a prayer that Jews prayed thanking God for not making them an outsider, to God's, in, in God's eyes. But it was a prayer of thankfulness, saying, God, thank you that you've made me an insider to your life and your blessings. And in our text, we meet an insider named Nicodemus. He's a good man by all accounts. And the text kind of gives us three pieces of information about him. First, we know that he was born a Jew. He had the right birth certificate, so to speak. He had Abraham's blood in his veins. We're also told in verse 1 that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And now, the Pharisees often get a, a bit of a, a bad rap uh, sometimes. We, we, we see them as these faceless keepers of the religious institution and all of its rules. And sometimes we kind of write the script for them. We, we see them as people who, whose just hearts aren't in the right place. But, but we shouldn't be so quick to write the Pharisees off because they weren't all that different than you and me. They were, the Pharisees, they, they were this, the Bible-believing branch of the Jewish faith. They knew the scriptures. They loved the scriptures. They, they knew theology. They were, they were serious about living a life that honored God. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the third detail we read about Nicodemus is, is that he was an accomplished man. We're told that, that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means he wasn't just a, a theological expert. He was an accomplished one. He was a person in, in a position of power and influence. A little later in our text, in John, or in verse 10, Jesus calls Nicodemus Israel's teacher. Actually, the Greek in verse 10, in this verse, it literally says, the teacher of Israel, with the emphasis on the the. Nicodemus wasn't just some other Pharisee. He, he was seen as the teacher of Israel. He was a person who was impressive. He was successful. He was accomplished. You could say that he had all the right stuff, right? the right blood, the right theology, and the right reputation. 
When it came to God, he, he was as big an insider as a person really could possibly get. And it's amazing what a difference a week can make if you were with us last week. Because last week we entered the story of an outsider, a Samaritan woman who had the wrong blood, the wrong theology, and the wrong reputation. But here we we have a so-called insider with all the right stuff. And we can't miss this. Jesus invites both so-called insiders and outsiders alike to follow him into the fullness of life. He sees no favoritism. He invites them all. And heaven knows we all need that invitation, no matter what side of God you think you're on. Jesus invites us all. In the Samaritan woman's story, Jesus went out of his way to find her. But here we see that Nicodemus actually goes out of his way to find Jesus. Verse 2 says, he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. And sometimes in the unique circumstances of our lives, Jesus searches us out. He finds us. And perhaps that's been your story that maybe your story more resembles the woman at the well, that, that Jesus came to you in your need, in your dark night of the soul. But sometimes we go through these times in life where, where we need to search him out. And maybe that more resembles your own story of faith, that you've got questions. You, you've got questions that you want answered. You want to have a reason to believe. And we need to know that that Jesus honors both. He calls both the hurting and the searching to follow him. He calls us all. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and we're told he comes at night. And the question is, why at night? Why doesn't Nicodemus come at noon in the middle of the day like the woman at the well did? Why does he come in the cover of darkness? Well, I think it's because Nicodemus was a little embarrassed. I think he was embarrassed. An accomplished, powerful, religious leader searching out this upstart rabbi who, 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 that would have taken a great deal of, of humility. But more than that, we know that many of the Pharisees saw Jesus as an enemy of the faith. They saw him as this this, uh, false prophet who was leading God's people astray. And so we have Nicodemus, this Pharisee par excellence, and he goes to Jesus incognito at night. But perhaps a better question for us to ask is, why why does Nicodemus go to Jesus in the first place? Why does he go see him at all? I mean, what would compel a man with all the right stuff, with the kind of life that that people would all aspire to, what would compel a person with all the right stuff to search out this upstart, someone whom his colleagues looked down upon with disdain? Well, it's because Nicodemus believes God is doing something important. Look at verse 2 again. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. 
Nicodemus searches Jesus out because he's stirred. He's, he's intrigued. Uh, he's heard Jesus' teachings. He, he's seen his miracles, his signs, and he is stirred to meet this Jesus face to face. And I've often wondered if Nicodemus searched Jesus out because he wondered if Jesus had answers about life and faith that he couldn't find in his theology textbooks or he couldn't find in the halls of his seminary education. I've wondered if Nicodemus searched Jesus out because he had answers that Nicodemus was looking for but he had yet to find. Or maybe he searched Jesus out because he saw in him a quality of life that none of his religious colleagues had. A quality of life that, that doesn't come from religion. A quality of life that, that all of his, his, his compatriots said that they wanted but they didn't have. Maybe that's the reason he went to Jesus, because he saw it in him. Something real. Something satisfying, something more in line with God's heart for the poor and the needy, something more in line with God's power. I wonder if these are the reasons why Nicodemus came to meet Jesus. And I think they are. Notice that Nicodemus doesn't ask Jesus a question. As far as we're told, Nicodemus doesn't come to Jesus with a specific request. And it seems to me that's because he sees God at work and he simply wants to get close. He wants to get in on what God is doing. He doesn't want to miss out. And so the question that all would-be followers of Jesus need to ask ourselves is, how about you? Do you want to be part of what, what Jesus is doing in the world? Nicodemus, he went to Jesus. And so Jesus tells him, and all of us who want to get in on the action, he tells us this. Look at verse 3. Jesus replies and says, Very truly, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, the term born again sometimes brings up some connotations for people. If you've, if you've kind of been connected to the church uh, over the generations, this, this word might have some baggage. And so let's try and hear it the way that Nicodemus heard it. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. <laughs> what? Born again? I can imagine Nicodemus' protest, but I have been born a Jew. I have been born into the family of God. I am a Pharisee in the ruling council. Surely, of all people, I have what is needed to see God's kingdom come. I've ordered my whole life around him in earnestness and honesty. I've searched after God. Not in a legalistic way, but in an honest way. I have the blood of Abraham in my veins. What do you mean you need to be born again? And Jesus is saying that, 
that my 1.5% Jewish heritage does nothing to make me an insider with God. Not even Nicodemus's 100% is enough for him to get into the kingdom of God. And this would have been shocking news for Nicodemus. In effect, Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you've been following God all of your life, but, but your Jewish birth, your knowledge of the Scriptures, even your impressive accomplishments for the Lord, they don't give you an inside track with God and His kingdom. I mean, imagine I'm interviewing you for a job. And it's a job that you really want, and it's a job that you've worked really hard for. And, and we go through this interview, and I ask you questions, and, and you give me your answers. And at the end of the interview, you, you turn to me and you ask, you say, so Keith, what are the chances of me being hired? And I respond, and I say something like this. I say, now listen really closely. Unless you're born a whole new person... <laughs> You're not getting this position. Oh. It would have been hard to take. A kick in the chest. And a little confusing. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, if you want to get in on the deep and lasting life that comes only through God, your family heritage isn't going to cut it. And God is saying to each of us, if you want the deep and lasting life that comes only through Jesus, it's not handed down to you through your family heritage either. You won't receive the life of God from your parents. You can't live your parents' faith. And you won't receive the life of God through the faith of your spouse either. Man, let me say this. There are many men here that are riding the coattails of their wives' life with Jesus. That she has a life with Jesus, and you're simply along for the ride. Or maybe in your family it's the other way around, where wives, you are living your life with Jesus, and it's not so much yours, it's your husband's. But the everlasting life God has on offer, it doesn't cut that way. And Jesus says, if you want in on the deep and lasting life of God, it, it won't come through your family. You must be born again, born from above. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, getting in on this everlasting life of God is not going to come through your knowledge of the scriptures and theology. It's not going to come from your intellectual enlightenment. Knowledge can only take us so far. And so God is saying to each of us, if you want in on this everlasting life, your intellect isn't going to cut it. Not even your knowledge of God and, and the scriptures will do. You must be born again, born from above. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, if you want to get in on this God life, it's not going to come through your accomplishments. It's not going to come through your successes. It's not going to come through your good deeds. And God is saying to each of us, if you want in on this God life, your good deeds aren't going to cut it either. Nor are your impressive achievements. You must be born again, born from above. 
And Nicodemus then asks what I think is the obvious question in verse 4. He says, how can someone be born again, essentially? How can they be born when they're old? Surely they, they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, Nicodemus here, I don't think he's so much hung up on, on kind of the puzzling idea of being born again. I don't think that's what's going on here. Rather, I think Nicodemus wonders how someone can do something that no human being is capable of doing themselves. Right? You see, the one thing that everyone knows about being born is that we can do nothing to make it happen ourselves, right? I mean, being born isn't so much something we do as it's something that is done to us. I mean, you can't wake up one day and say, well, I think I, I, I want to be born. There, there, there is something else at play here. We are not born of our own desire or our own will or our own effort. We're born of someone else's. And so Nicodemus asks, how can this be? When it depends on, on something that is so out of my control, something out of my hands, out of my ability, how can I get in on this kingdom of God? And Jesus answers by pointing him to an Old Testament scripture. It's a part of the Bible someone like Nicodemus would have known by heart. Jesus answered, he said, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And we may not hear it at first, but Jesus' words here are, are dripping. They're dripping with words that God spoke to the prophet Ezekiel in his book, in, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel's book. In that chapter, uh, God speaks of this future day where he will manifest his holiness among people. And first in the story, there is water. God says, Ezekiel 36, 25, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. First, there is the water. Then in the following verses comes the Spirit. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The water and the Spirit. Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. This is what it means to be born again, born from above. But do you hear how many times God says I in Ezekiel 36? I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone. I will put my Spirit in you. Being born again is not something you can do for yourself. It's something only God can do for you. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And the water, the water cleanses us from sin. We need God to cleanse us with, with his water because without his purifying forgiveness, we continue to live under the weight of our own sin and shame. 
And friends, let let me say that, that there can be no lasting joy living under such a weight. We need it lifted. We need God to give us new birth through his water. Now, Nicodemus was well aware at this time that that John the Baptist came preaching about a baptism in water. It was all over the news of the day. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of, of water repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we know in the scriptures that when John the Baptist, or when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John looked at Jesus and said, look, Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here comes the one who cleanses us from our sin with the water of God. And church, that's why we get baptized. It's this declaration that that through Jesus' sacrifice, God has washed us clean and we have been born anew, free from our sin of the past. And the question is, have you you stepped into the waters of baptism? Because if you you haven't, that's your invitation this morning, to to symbolically be born of the water anew. This is the water. And then there is the Spirit. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, we must be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit fills us with God's holy presence and begins to produce in us things that only the holy God can produce. Things like real love. Not superficial love, but but real covenant love. God produces that in us. Sacrificial love. Or things like reconciliation. The ability to forgive. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He, He gives us joy and and peace in the most troubling times. You see, when we're washed by the water, God promises, the vessel of our life is then cleaned and ready to contain the very presence of the Holy God through His Holy Spirit. And we need God's Spirit. We need God's Spirit because without Him, we are simply on our own. Without God's Spirit in us, all we've got is the blood of our ancestors. And all we've got is our knowledge and our accomplishments to animate us. But friends, those things decay. They run out. They have no lasting power to affect the eternal life that God has come to give us. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want in on the deep and lasting life of God, you must be born again, born of water and born of the Spirit. This is Jesus' invitation to life that is given to insiders and outsiders alike, to all of us. Whether we think we're on the inside or we think we're on the outside, he says, come and drink the water of God and be cleansed from your sin and filled with his spirit. What a gift. What an invitation, church. What a power. And it's something that only Jesus can do. So Nicodemus asks, What each and every one of us should be asking ourselves too, how can this be? How can we be born again, Jesus? 
How can you do in us this thing that, that only you can do so that we might see your kingdom and enter it for ourselves? Well, there's only one thing we can do. We cannot affect our own birth, but there is one thing we can do. The text tells us we can look to Christ. Verse 13, Jesus says, No one has ever entered into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is telling us who he is here. And he's saying, Nicodemus, look, I'm not a rabbi. (laughs) I've come straight from the Father in heaven. And then he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and this gets weird, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Jesus, again, is referring to a story that Nicodemus would have known in his very being from Numbers chapter 20. It's where the people of God were living in the wilderness. They were in the desert, and they disobeyed God. And then these fiery serpents, because of their disobedience, came with their venomous death into the camp of God's people. And so the people of God begged Moses, pray to God for help. And so, so God told Moses to take this bronze serpent and to put it on a pole and to lift it up that whoever looked at this serpent would be healed and live. The very thing causing their death was lifted up on a pole and they would look to that thing and live. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, whoever looks at the uplifted Christ, the one who took the very thing that causes our death, sin and shame upon himself, whenever, whoever looks at the uplifted Christ, whoever looks at Jesus lifted on the cross, they can be born again. They can be born from above. Church, do you want the deep and lasting life that only Jesus can give you? A life for both now and into God's everlasting future. Do you want to be cleansed from your sins and filled with the animating life of God's Spirit? Then look to Jesus on the cross. He is the only source of this new and lasting life. Your heritage will not make you an insider with God. Neither will your wife or your husband or your parent or your intellect, your knowledge, your deeds, your accomplishments. If you want in on God and what he is doing, you must look to Christ who shed his blood on the cross to cleanse you with his water and fill you with his spirit. Look to him, and you will be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to sit under the weight of your word because your weight is not a burden. 
Your weight is freedom. That when we respond to you, you pour out life from above. And so I want to make space even in this moment for those who have never made a decision to follow Jesus. And if this is you in the congregation this morning, that you've never decided to follow Jesus, but there is something stirring in you, maybe like, like Nicodemus, you, you have a sense that Jesus has the kind of life that you need. And as we pray with, with our eyes closed, I wonder if this is you and, 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 and you want to say yes to Jesus. You, you want to follow him. You, you want to go all in. Would you be willing just to, to put your hand up? as an act of response, as a way of saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Jesus, I, I, I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. I, I need to be cleansed, and I want to be filled with your spirit. And Jesus, all of us, all of us here, whether we've prayed that prayer for the first time or the hundredth time, we need you and we thank you. And we know, Jesus, that nothing can separate us from your love. And so we give you our yes again, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time. And we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we have been born anew, born from above, washed with the water, and filled with your spirit. So seal this in us, we pray. Amen.